Last week, we looked at Habakkuk going there with the Lord and asking that hard question of God, why would you allow these things in my life? So today we pick up in chapter 2, verse 1, if you want to turn in your Bibles for that difficult venture of finding the book of Habakkuk. Uh, it's right after the book of Ramah. Just joking. Uh, it's right after the book of Nahum. Like, that's a lot of help, right? So if you find the book of Matthew and you go a little bit to uh, your left, you'll find the book of Habakkuk. The minor prophets become real minor. Uh, it's hard, hard to find them. So hopefully you can find it in your Bible. Habakkuk chapter 2. We're going to be looking at the first uh, four verses this morning. It's important as we look at this book of Habakkuk and in chapter 1 where he is wrestling in faith. He's going before the Lord and he's saying, God, why would you allow Judah to become so wicked without bringing justice? Here we are, your people. We've forgotten you. We've wandered away from you. And it appears that you're not dealing with it. God's response is, I'm going to deal with it in such a way that it's going to astound you. It's going to blow your mind. I'm going to bring in the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, to judge the children of Israel, to take them captive. That produced even more questions in the heart and the mind of Habakkuk, and that's where we left off last week. Being encouraged, exhorted to go to those Lord honestly, respectfully, with our difficult questions. It's important to do that, but it's also important to not stay there to move past that and receive the answer that God has for us. This book starts with wrestling and it ends with worship, the end of chapter 3. It starts with confusion and it ends with confidence. And in our own journey with the Lord, as we bring those questions to God, we want to get to a place of resolve. We want to get to a place of meeting with the Lord. And that's what we find in chapter 2. We find Habakkuk waiting in faith. We find Habakkuk seeking God in a greater way, not content just to stay in that place of questioning, but now in a place where he's in the posture of hearing. God, I want you to give me the answer that only you can provide. Verse one, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. If you're taking notes this morning, in verse 1, we're going to have three points, three key points, I believe, in hearing from God during these times of wrestling and entering into a period of waiting. The first is determination. We see determination with Habakkuk. If you notice, he says, I will stand my watch. I'll set myself on the rampart. I will watch to see what he will say to me. He's determined to meet God in these questions. It's easy to stay in that place of questioning, staying in that place of having the difficulty, but not get determined to say, I have to meet with the Lord on this. This may mean that you stay up all night to hear God's voice. So determined to meet with the Lord on this, saying, even if I have to lose sleep, if I've got to get up earlier, stay up all night, a lot of times when it comes to hearing God's voice in something like this, it may be more of, well, if I have the time, if I get around to it, if I'm able to get all my work done, then, then I will take some time to, to seek the Lord. And what I see in Habakkuk is he's so determined, he's so hungry to meet with God that he clears off his schedule to go to this tower, to go to this rampart. And he says, I'm not leaving. 
I'm standing right here. I'm watching. I'm waiting for God to come and speak to me. When was the last time that we were that hungry to hear from God? That we were that determined to hear from the Lord? Jeremiah 29 verse 13 says, And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. That's determination. Is your heart in seeking your Lord? Is my heart in seeking the Lord? Is my heart really having an answer from God? This is so difficult for Habakkuk to ponder a wicked nation, the Babylonians, coming and judging Judah. Yes, Judah is wicked, but they're not as wicked as the Babylonians. He needs answers. We'll get to those places in our lives And it will require for us to seek the Lord with some determination, with some hunger, with some drive. The next thing that we see in this verse is isolation. I'm going to go up to this rampart, to this tower, to meet with God. I find that in order to hear God's voice, I have to slow down the busyness of my life. I have to slow down the velocity in which I'm traveling through my days. We're so incredibly busy, we're always around people, and there's something special about being isolated with the Lord. If you really want to have a good conversation with someone and go deep, it's going to be a one-on-one conversation. My wife and I, we have some wonderful conversations, and guess what? They happen in isolation. They happen one-on-one. They happen on our back deck, when we're out on a date for, for breakfast. You can relate. And God wants that kind of attention from us. He can speak to us anytime, any way, in the chaos of our lives, but there's something special about being isolated with the Lord. Jesus, throughout his earthly life, would take time away to be alone with the Father, staying up all night to pray, getting up early before others had gotten out of bed. He wasn't even in a time of crisis. He just loved to spend time with the Father. We look throughout Scripture, and God often met people in isolation. Nehemiah was burdened, and he chose to seek God alone. Daniel, seeking God alone. God speaks to Moses when? When he's isolated by himself with the sheep in the wilderness. The list goes on and on and on. So here you are wrestling, asking God these hard questions, maybe even frustrated with the Lord. It's easy to stay there, but then go further and say, I'm determined to meet with God. I'm going to find some time to be alone. Drive up to Mueller State Park. Go for a hike. Give, Give the day to the Lord. Go on your own personal retreat. Say, okay, I'm going to schedule two nights you're single, go for it. Single mom, single dad, rely on some family and friends to watch your kids. You're married, talk with your spouse. I need some time to seek the Lord. I need some time to be isolated with God. Maybe you go for a walk in your neighborhood. Choose to walk through Garden of the Gods, Red Rocks Canyon, Palmer Park. I have to have some time alone with the Lord. Maybe it's taking a drive. You drive down to Pueblo. Not a lot to see down there, but some great time to be able to spend with God. There's less traffic as you go south than if you were to go, to go north. If you manage to 
be alone and you're not with people and you're with the Lord, there's one other thing we have to deal with and it's our phones. Because here I've set aside this time to seek God and then all of a sudden I get a text. I get three or four texts. I got to check it. I got to see what's going on. And before long now, I'm online and I'm reading ESPN. And I'm checking Craigslist because there might be something that I can't live without on Craigslist. And it all began where I finally got this time to, to spend with the Lord. Do you know on average, if you're between 18 and 25, you're spending five hours on your phone looking at that screen? That's the national average between 18 to 25. Do you know you're only awake for 15 hours a day? So that's a th- one third of your awake time is spent looking at your phone. The average for all ages is 90 minutes a day looking at the phone. Now, this doesn't even include computer, TV, other screens. This is just our smartphones. Smartphones. 90 minutes a day. It's a lot of time. That comes out to 23 days a year looking at the phone. 3.9 years of our lives looking at the phone. I find the phone to be an extreme distraction when I'm trying to meet with God. This is crazy. This crazy talk up in here right here this morning at Rocky Mount Calvary. But you need to hear from God. You need to be isolated, isolated from people, isolated from your phone for a while. Leave it at home. Leave the phone at home. Have you ever accidentally left your phone at home and you get about five minutes from the house and you start doing this? You know, you're twitching, having an identity crisis and fear takes over. What if I have a flat tire? What if there's a, an emergency and, and I don't have my phone? You'll be all right. I bet you could even drive up into the mountains without your phone and leave it at home and say, God, I simply want to hear your voice. That's what Habakkuk does. He, he gets away. He's alone with God. He removes distractions. He's isolated. He gives environment and opportunity for God to begin to speak to him. But the third thing that we see in this verse is expectation. He says, I will wait to see what he will say to me and answer when I am corrected. He expected that God was going to speak. He approached this meeting with God with faith. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, But without faith it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We want to come with a spirit of expectation that God is going to speak. Lord, I've set aside this time, this four hours, this eight hours, this two two days. I've been wrestling with these questions for years, and I come with a heart of expectation that you're going to speak to me. What are some areas of life that we operate in expectation? If you go to lunch today, there's some expectation that you're going to get some food. Maybe fast food, maybe a sit-down restaurant, but you've put in your order, and you're expecting that they're going to deliver you some food. If you go into a coffee shop, you're expecting that you're going to get that golden goodness in just a few moments. That fresh aroma, that smell, and they've ground the beans, and now they've brewed your your special cup of coffee, and there's a sense of expectation, anticipation. Maybe it even builds as you're pulling into the parking lot. How about payday? 
There's some expectation on payday. You know when you get paid. Maybe it's the first, maybe it's the 15th, maybe it's once a month. Maybe you work on commission, you've closed the deal, you have an expectation for that paycheck to come. A tax return. You're getting some money back this year. You filled it out and you're waiting for the government to put in that that money electronically into your account and you're operating with expectation. How much more so would God, he promises to draw near to us if we draw near to him. But many times when we're approaching time with God, we really don't expect for him to answer. We really don't expect that God's going to meet with us. This morning as we came to church, was it another ho-hum, ho-hum, here I go to church again? Or I don't really expect that God's going to speak to me? A lot of times when I'm reading the word and I'm doing my devotions, I don't approach it with an attitude of expectation. I don't approach it with an attitude of faith where, God, I believe that you are my father. I believe that you desire to communicate and I'm expecting to hear from you. Also, Habakkuk is open to correction from God. And I think that's really important, especially as we're wrestling with really difficult questions. We understand I may have the wrong perspective here and God, I'm willing for you to set me straight. God, I'm willing for you to bring correction into my heart and my life. Verse two, the Lord answered me and said, God will answer in his timing and in his way. God was waiting for Habakkuk to seek him in this way. And now the Lord provides the answer. Write the vision, write down the answer, write down the guidance. So here you are, you're wrestling with hard questions in your life. God, why would you allow this? Set some time to seek the Lord and approach that time with pen and paper. That's part of the expectation. That's part of the faith. God, I've brought a pen. I've brought a piece of paper. Maybe you like to record things on your iPad or your tablet or your laptop, but you're taking some way of writing down what the Lord has shown you. That's the first thing that God says to Habakkuk. I find this morning's message to be very practical, very, very applicable. Something that we can take and and do in our lives is go spend time with God and then say, Lord, I've brought a pen and paper. I'm ready for you to speak. When I approach God's word that way, I get so much more out of it. If I'll write down the verse that he's spoken to me and a few thoughts about it, I remember it so much more. If I listen to a message like this and and I I write down a few notes, it sticks with me because it's amazing how quickly we forget the things of God. We forget what God has spoken to us. I can remember dirty jokes that were told to me as young as five years old. I remember being at a sleepover where I was sleeping and unfortunately I could tell you the joke today. But I can't remember what last week's message was about And I gave it. I preached it. You know, I shared it. It's pretty messed up, isn't it? There's a spiritual attack. Satan doesn't want us to remember the guidance that God has provided, the answer that the Lord has given to us. And when things get dark and things get difficult, we have to go back to what he's shown us in the light. We've got to go back to what God has shown us in the tower in the rampart, in the time of meeting with him. Things are going to get difficult for Habakkuk. He's going to watch the judgment of God come down and he'd have to go back to this vision that the Lord had revealed to him. So write it down. And then, I love this, and make it plain on tablets. Make it simple. Habakkuk, I don't want this to be complicated. 
Don't write 20 pages on what I've shown to you. I want you to be able to summarize my message to you, my encouragement to you in one sentence. Why do you think God would tell Habakkuk that? So that he could remember it and apply it to his life. So there may be a whole bunch that God has shown to us, but reduce it down into one phrase. Reduce it down into one sentence. This is God's guidance for me at this time. He may bring the word endurance. He may bring the word trust. He may bring the word patience. He may bring the word joy. But, but you grab that, you keep it simple, you write it down so that he may run who reads it. And there's two interpretations of this verse. One is that it's so clear when someone runs by, they can get the message. And the other is that they're able to then get the message and pass it on to somebody else. I think both are true. Both are true. We're wanting to take God's wisdom in such a concise form that someone who runs by could read it and then gain from it and share it with someone else. Sounds a lot like marketing, doesn't it? The world has mastered this. Sum up your business in one word. There's probably some companies, some businesses, where you know their slogan and you've passed it on to somebody else in a song, in a phrase, in in a joke. They've done a good job at marketing. And God says, here's my message. I want you to be able to have it concisely so someone can glean from it and share it with someone else. We've sought the Lord on what we believe God's heart and vision is for Rocky Mountain Calvary. Maybe you've seen it in the foyer, seen it on the, the website, Be Make Send. It stands for Be Disciples, Make Disciples, and Send Disciples. We believe it provides guidance for what we do as a church. We want to be passionate followers of Jesus Christ. I grew up going to church, and I can't say that all those years I was a disciple of Christ. I was at church. Then God got a hold of my life. He called me by name began that journey of following the Lord. It's our prayer that everyone who comes here would be a follower of Jesus Christ, that you would know the joy of hearing God's voice where he says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Amen? So how do we think that that will be accomplished to be disciples? By studying God's word. We put great emphasis on studying God's word. Through prayer, seeing the importance of prayer in our lives and prayer as a body. Through communion. We continually celebrate the Lord's Supper together through fellowship, through relationship, and the importance of being in relationship with one another. We're being disciples. And as we're a disciple, then we naturally will make a disciple. We'll pass it on to someone else in our immediate circle, starting with those that are closest to us, that we live with, our families, in our neighborhoods, beginning to invest in the body of Christ and invest in unbelievers. Be, make, and then send. We want to be a church that affirms the work of the Holy Spirit in one another's life. It may be as simple as crossing the street to reach out to a neighbor, or going down this hall to volunteer in children's ministry, or going across the ocean to serve in international missions, but we want to be a group that says, oh, the Holy Spirit's touching your heart and life. We're with you. Go for it. And seeing disciples sent out into God's kingdom. 
I would encourage you to seek God on what's his vision for your life, what's his guidance for your life. Maybe God will give you one sentence that's going to help you to make decisions. Sometimes people have summed it up like this. The heartbeat of my life is to know him and to make him known. There's a vision statement that God has given to my life. Have a vision. Write it down so that someone can receive it and run with it. In verse 3, for the, the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. God is speaking to Habakkuk and saying, this vision of the Babylonians coming in and taking Judah captive is for a time that is yet future. A prophecy that would be fulfilled in the days to come. But don't be mistaken. Don't be confused. This is not a lie. When it happens, it's going to happen quickly. Some of you may be really afraid of prophecy, Bible prophecy, because you've had bad experiences or you've met crazy people. And I'll admit, there's some real wackos when it comes to Bible prophecy. But that doesn't mean you throw out prophecy. Because the Bible is filled with prophecy. And in fact, in Revelation, it tells us that prophecy is the spirit of Jesus Christ. It points to Jesus Christ. Much prophecy has already been fulfilled in the Bible, specifically about the first coming of Jesus Christ. It shows us the uniqueness of God's word and that God's word is inspired. There are some prophecies that are not yet fulfilled. And it's easy to start to doubt, well, is God really going to fulfill all of these things? Is the rapture of the church actually going to take place? Is there going to be a second coming of Jesus Christ? Absolutely. Absolutely. And when it happens, it's going to happen quickly. It won't tarry. It won't wait. So trust the word of God. Think about some prophecies that we've seen fulfilled in modern times. You may be familiar in the book of Revelation, there's something that's described as the mark of the beast. The Antichrist marks civilization for everyone who will take the mark at that time. The Bible says without this mark on your forehead or on your wrist, you won't be able to buy or sell. You won't be able to do any commerce. Think about all of the generations that studied the Bible that thought, how would I buy and sell through some type of mark that is placed on my forehead, or on my wrist. So much of ancient civilization, how was business done? I'll give you a couple of cows, you give me five sheep. I'll give you these eggs, then you go ahead and give me that wheat. And it was a a barter system. Then cash comes onto the scene. Now you open up your wallet and you look at your Visa card, your MasterCard, your card of choice, and there's probably a chip that's embedded in the card to buy and sell. We have the technology today to put a mark on your forehead, on your wrist, to be able to buy or sell. And it would sure save a whole lot of problems, wouldn't it? Theft would go way down. So I cut off your right arm to take your chip, right? be much more difficult to to be able to do some of these things. How about the nation of Israel? Bible prophesied that Israel would become a nation again in the book of Ezekiel. So many generations studying the Bible where Israel is not a nation. Revelation happens in context of Israel being a nation. In modern times, it was fulfilled. May 1948, Israel became a nation again 
And we see that happening before our very eyes. It's phenomenal to me that Israel is able to thrive and grow. It makes no logical sense. If you get out a map and you look at the nation of Israel, it is tiny, tiny, tiny. And what are they surrounded by? Enemies that want to wipe them off the face of the planet. But yet you go to Israel and there's peace and they're growing economically. It makes no sense other than that God has fulfilled his word and fulfilled prophecy. So this verse speaks of the fact that future prophecy, it will happen. And when it does happen, it happens quickly. Verse 4, here's God's answer to Habakkuk's wrestling to his waiting in faith. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. First, the proud, his spirit's not upright in him. A proud heart walks in disobedience to God. A proud heart sees no need for God in his life. That was the Babylonians. This is contrasted with a life of faith. Faith takes humility. The just shall live by faith. What is God saying to Habakkuk? Here's my ways. I'm going to use a proud, sinful people to judge Judah. Habakkuk, you're going to have to embrace it by faith. The just shall live by faith. God is not saying that you should live by faith or you ought to live by faith. He's telling Habakkuk, the way that you're going to get through this trial is through faith. The way that you're going to get through this difficulty is by trusting me. You will experience life in your soul as you trust me. And the same is true for us. As we go through our circumstances, our difficulties, our trials, when we're trusting in the Lord, it brings life into our bones, doesn't it? But we're not always in that place of trust. When we get away from that place of trust, we find ourselves doubting. We find ourselves like the double man, the double-minded man in the book of James. It's tossed to, to and fro. Oftentimes it's a choice and it's a battle to say, God, I know you're good. I trust your ways, even though I don't understand them. So I'm choosing to put my faith and trust in you. Maybe this sentence, the just shall live by faith, it rings a bell to you. Like, I think I've heard this before. We find it in the New Testament, in three books. Romans, Galatians, and Hebrews. Three books of the Bible are written off of this one sentence. Some people say you should only study the New Testament. Why do we spend time in the Old Testament? Because if we don't know the Old Testament, it's difficult to understand the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, in the book of Romans, he spends 16 chapters going into detail on the doctrine of justification, the just, the righteous. How do we become righteous before God? Guess what? It's by faith. It's through trusting in what Christ has done that then God imputes righteousness on our account, declares us righteous. We become just, not by our works, but through the faith and what Christ has done for us. When Jesus cried out upon the cross, it is finished. This one verse is what changed Martin Luther's life. Maybe you have never heard of Martin Luther, lived in the 1500s. His father was a miner. They were very poor. He decided he wanted to be a lawyer. He didn't want to have this, this life of poverty. 
went to university and he got his bachelor's and his master's degree at a young age at the quickest amount of time that the university would allot. Brilliant young man. He's 21 years old, finds himself in a very bad storm. Thunder and lightning apparently must have been incredibly frightening because he gets on his face and his background, his spiritual background at this point was with saints. So he starts crying out to saints that he was taught about as a kid and he makes this promise to God, if you allow me to live through this, I'll serve you. Sure enough, he lives through the storm, so he decides to become a monk under a works-based system. If I do enough, if I pray enough, if I'm just enough, if I'm righteousness enough, maybe God will forgive me. He would do things like pray upstairs on his knees till his knees were bloodied while whipping himself on the back to try to have righteousness before God. Talk about a man who is wrestling like Habakkuk. Had read, the just shall live by faith. And on one particular day, in one of these times of wrestling, that truth resounded in his heart and his mind. The just shall live by faith. The just have eternal life by faith. It's not through works. The gospel exploded in his heart and his mind. He wrote something called the 95 Thesis that he nailed upon the door of the Catholic Church that began the Reformation began spiritual revival with this truth. The book of Romans focuses on the just. And then Galatians focuses on shall live. The Galatian church was being twisted where people were coming in saying, that's great that you believe in Christ. Now you have to go back under the law. And Paul writes to them and says, no, you continue in your Christian life through faith. You don't go back to the law. You don't go back to trying to earn or deserve God's favor. Do you know the way that you operate, the way that I operate with God this morning is through faith, not through our works? We don't go to God and say, God, I did my devotions this morning. Would you bless my life? God, I went to church on Sunday morning. Would you bless my life? God, I I gave tithe and offerings. Lord, would you you bless my life? I volunteered to go serve the, the terrorists, I mean the toddlers and the children's ministry. Lord, would, would you bless my life? That's a roller coaster that goes up and down, doesn't it, that's based on your performance. You live, you're alive today spiritually by faith, amen? And the book of Galatians teaches us that. Hebrews focuses on by faith and gives us the definition of faith and examples of people's lives who live by faith. Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, Joshua, Hebrews chapter 11, to live a life of faith. Maybe you're feeling like, I can't believe he's dedicating a whole sermon to four verses. We could do three years on this verse. We could say, okay, now we're going to go into Romans. Then we're going to go into Galatians. Then we're going to go into the book of Hebrews, the just shall live by faith. Now let's bring it back to personal application in Habakkuk's life, in our life. God's saying, Habakkuk, you're going to embrace this trial through faith if you're going to get through it. If God can handle and provide salvation for us, do you think that he can handle the situation that we're in? The broken relationship, the financial difficulty, the confusion of why did God allow this to happen? 
the questions of what in the world's going on in our nation, what is taking place in the world that we live in, we must embrace it by faith. We must trust God. And it's in trusting God that he then brings life into us. Amazing for how complex Habakkuk's questions are, how direct God's answer is. God doesn't explain himself. He doesn't give reason. He doesn't try to reach Habakkuk on an intellectual level. He simply says, son, you're going to have to trust me. You're going to live by faith. You're going to endure this through faith. So what's the application for us in this message? The first is take time to seek God. Habakkuk wouldn't have received this answer from the Lord if he didn't take time to seek the Lord. Seek him with determination. Church, get after it. I think that this message is timely for some. You're in your own dark hour of the soul, your own time of wrestling. Don't just ask the questions, but then say, I'm going to determine to seek God in isolation. Yes, leave the phone at home. Get away from people and allow the Lord to speak. It's always helpful for me to take immediate action. Do it this afternoon. Do it today. Take that time to seek God with a heart of expectation that the Lord's going to meet you. And then, concisely write down what he's shown you. Go with a pen and paper. Go with a journal. And come back with it summed up in a sentence or two. Concisely write it down. And then finally, embrace it by faith. Embrace it by faith. What the Lord shows to you. You may understand it, you may not. And say, okay, Lord, I know you. I trust you. You're good. You're my father. You gave your son to die upon the cross for me. So I'm embracing it by faith. The struggle comes when we choose not to trust. The peace comes as we surrender to the Lord. 